0: Welcome to this week's Fair Territory. We are, as we tape this, about 33 hours from the trade deadline at 6 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Obviously, there's been a lot of action so far. We're expecting a good amount of action to come. And I'm going to take you through in our first segment this morning just kind of where things stand, where I see the most important pivot points, so to speak, just kind of where we are. Let's start with the biggest name still out there, at least in my opinion, And it's Justin Verlander. Why is Justin Verlander out there? Because the Mets are selling. We saw this start the other night. David Robertson to the Marlins for two high-end teenage prospects. Then, of course, the shocking trade of Max Scherzer to the Rangers on Saturday, along with $36 for a top 100 prospect, Luis Angel Acuna. That's the younger brother of Ronald. He's an infielder, very high ceiling as well. So here are the Mets. They're doing some things to try to strengthen their organization. And Justin Verlander, you might have heard him yesterday. He's like, well, now I've got some things to think about. Maybe I don't want to be here next year. Yes, he signed for 2024 with a conditional option for 2025. But if the Mets are not going to compete at the level he anticipated when he signed with them, he has to reconsider. And he's probably had or is having the same conversation with Mets GM Billy Epler that Max Scherzer had. And that conversation led Scherzer to decide, uh, I'll be happy to waive my no trade clause. Thank you very much. It's really interesting what the Mets are doing. I sort of like it in the sense that they are strengthening their organization. They're building up their farm system by using Cohen's money, the owner, Steve Cohen, and just kind of going about it that way. Okay, the question I have, especially if you trade Verlander, what about 2024? Now, you heard Billy Epler yesterday, the GM, say this is not a fire sale. This is not a liquidation. Well, if you trade Verlander, it sure looks like that, because Mark going to go, Tommy Pham's going to go, maybe Brooks Raley, maybe Jose Quintana. Who knows how far they're going to take this? I don't know, and probably the Mets aren't exactly clear right now. But Verlander is kind of the key guy, because if you don't keep him, then you've got to go back into free agency this offseason, if indeed you intend to compete on a high level in 2024. And guess what? As I wrote this morning in The Athletic, the Mets don't like long-term deals for starting pitchers. They've shown that. The Scherzer deal, the Verlander deal, the Jose Quintana deal, these are all shorter deals. Well, the guys on the free agent market this year start with Shohei Otani, of course, but keep going with Urias and Nola and Lucas Giolito and maybe Eduardo Rodriguez. And Marcus Stroman, if they opt out, these guys are getting long deals. So that's the question I have for the Mets. But Verlander is the key one right now, because what happens with him probably determines in a large part what the Mets future is going to look like short term. And what happens with him, of course, will affect the rest of the sport as well. Now, I also wrote today that the Dodgers are probably the Mets preferred destination for Verlander over the Houston Astros, because the Houston Astros do not have, as of right now, any top 100 prospects really on any list. And what the Mets are doing with these players now, trying to buy prospects, trying to get depth into their system, quality into their system, it's not going to be as easy to do with the Astros as it would be with the Dodgers. Now, it's interesting to think about the Mets possibly sending a lot of money to the Dodgers. Neither one of these teams is going broke. But that was the template for the Scherzer deal. They can certainly follow it with Verlander or perhaps do something else, all assuming that Justin Verlander has multiple destinations in mind. He has a no trade clause. Maybe he just wants to go to Houston. Maybe he just wants to go to L.A. This all governs what goes on here. He can effectively choose his next team. Now, we've seen the Dodgers do some smaller things so far. The trade for Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly supplemented their pitching. The trade for Ahmed Rosario and Kike Hernandez, individual trades that gave them more right-handed hitting, more depth on their position player club. They have not made the big move yet. They're not getting no Arenado. The Cardinals have said that. They really need pitching. 6.18 rotation ERA in July to this point. That's the second highest in club history for any month. Going back to when the National League started keeping track of ERA in 1912. Clearly, they need another starter. Now, I wrote about the possibility of Dylan Cease this morning. The White Sox are listening. I don't know how actively they're listening, but that's something I am sure the Dodgers will explore. They've talked to the White Sox extensively. They made the trade for Lynn and Kelly. So who knows where that goes? All right. Now to a team that is doing a lot of things and a very interesting team going back to really two off-seasons ago when they brought in Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager. Now the Rangers, well, here they go again. They lose Nathan Ivaldi on top of Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom suffered a season-ending injury in April, and the Rangers' rotation has been kind of in a perilous place ever since. And now with Ivaldi having his latest problem, and he's had a history of injury. Of course, they go out and they get Scherzer and then they go out and they get Jordan Montgomery. Cost them three top 15 prospects, about 12 and million million in 2023 payroll, not incidental. And they add some of Scherzer's payroll for next year as well. They're an interesting team to say the least. They still need another reliever. They've done Chapman. Yes. And then of course, Scherzer and Montgomery to follow in the rotation. But the Rangers are still looking in the bullpen, and I would not be surprised to see them do even more things. The Angels are totally all in. We've seen that. Didn't trade Otani. They made the two deals, Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, then the deal on Sunday night for CJ Crone and Randall Gritchick. They're doing a ton of things, trying to salvage what they can here with low playoff odds. But we'll see if that actually puts them in a better place or not. If you're going to keep Otani and you're going to try to make the playoffs, I have no problem with what they're doing. They don't believe their farm system is very strong and that the players they're trading are very good. So that's where they are. The AL West, obviously a very active division, and we're all waiting for the Astros to make their bigger moves. They've gotten Kendall Graveman, but not much beyond that so far. Finally, one more team to watch here, and it's the San Diego Padres. The Padres you might say, well, they're the Mets, they should sell. But let's look at their run differential compared to the Mets, and I'll show you why they're not selling. It's a very interesting thing that if you look at run differential, you'll understand. Mets minus 10 for the year, Padres plus 63, third best in the National League. Now, run differential isn't everything, of course. And it really just tells you though, the underlying strengths and weaknesses of a club how they might project going forward based on how they've played so far. It's not perfect, doesn't always hold, but that shows you why the Padres are perhaps more confident. Their playoff odds are around 40% right now. Let's look at the wild card standings as well to show you where they are there. It's not a great position, let's face it. They're behind the Phillies, Diamondbacks and Cubs simply for the National League third wild card and it's not a great spot. But If you're the Padres, you're thinking, we still haven't played our best. You're thinking, we can catch some of those teams ahead of us. Miami might fall. Some of the others might fall as well. I do not expect them to trade Blake Snell or Josh Hader. But I will say this about the Padres. A.J. Preller is one of the most creative GMs in the game, sometimes to a fault. I put nothing past him. So is it possible Hader or Snell goes here and yet they bring in other pieces there I rule nothing out. And it looks like after sweeping the Rangers this weekend, maybe they're back on track. be tough for them to sell. I get it. But at the same time, I'm watching closely. I'm waiting to see because I don't count on anything this time of year. Time now for the inside dish where I take you every week inside a story I've written or perhaps a bigger trend or story going on within the game. And this week, what is the obvious thing to talk about? Of course, it's the trade deadline. And I wanna go back and talk about just how this deadline has evolved. People were saying a couple of weeks ago, oh, man, this could be a really quiet deadline. Not many sellers, not much quality out there. It's just not a lot that's going to happen. So I hear this talk, you hear it pretty much every year, late June, early July. Eh, might not be the same, might not be that good. I never believe it, and if you recall, on July 20th, you probably don't recall this, but let's show you what I said on foul territory on July 20th regarding this particular deadline. Everyone said it was going to be boring this year, Ken. It's going to be awesome. It's never it's boring, AJ. Awesome. It, I want it, chaos. It I want chaos. Bo- <laughs> <laughs> it, I want chaos. I don't know if we're going to get chaos, but it's going to be interesting. And yes. it's, it's a weird market. It's weird for a lot of reasons. The sport is essentially upside down. We've got teams that we never expected to be playing this well, playing well. We've got teams we thought would be behemoths, not playing well. And we have a group of sellers that don't have a lot to offer. So I do expect we'll see a lot of major league from major league type trades where different players are going back and forth as one team tries to fill this need and the other team tries to fill that need. We've seen some trades like that in the recent past. Bader from Montgomery was a good one, right? So... There are going to be things that happen. We just don't know to what extent how it's going to be, but I do expect a level of chaos. All right, we do have a level of chaos, I would say. We don't have those major league for major league trades that I've been talking about or was talking about, at least not yet. We could get some. I would expect we probably will get some, but to this point, no. It's been mostly prospect for veteran type things. Now, as a reporter, I shouldn't admit this, But the truth is, we have no idea what's going on. We try to report the best we can, and we try to bring you insight into what teams might be thinking. That, I think we do a good job of. But in terms of actual, this is happening, this is what this team's going to do, this is what that team's going to do, eh, we're not great at that. And the reason we're not great at it, we're not inside the rooms. We don't know exactly what they're saying, and more and more information is difficult to come by. You can't predict this stuff, You can't figure it out, and I'm going to give you a number of examples that demonstrate this to be the case. Let's look at some trades that, hey, I've got the headline here. Did you see these coming? No, the answer is we didn't see these coming. Scherzer to the Rangers came out of nowhere. Giolito and Lopez to the Angels, about 10 hours before that happened, we were all thinking maybe the Angels would trade Shohei. No. Montgomery to the Rangers, that occurred in the wake of the Ivaldi injury. David Robertson to the Marlins, a trade of a Met player to the Marlins. Didn't see it. Lance Lennon, Joe Kelly to the Dodgers, eh, maybe, but it wasn't exactly what people really thought the Dodgers were targeting. Same with Ahmed Rosario to the Dodgers. Now, one reason why we can't predict these things is obviously things have gotten a little bit different in recent years with the introduction of a third wild card. That's one reason. There are more teams perhaps looking to do things in a buying way than before. That's one reason. Another reason, and this really surfaced over the weekend, injuries can change plans in a hurry. Jordan Romano's injury with the Blue Jays led to the trade for Jordan Hicks. Of all these injuries, led to the trades for Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery. Taylor Ward, that awful thing when he got hit in the face, that led to the Angels getting C.J. Krohn and Randall Gritchick. Again, none of this anyone saw coming. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say the GMs are playing three-dimensional chess and it's that sophisticated. It's not. But they're playing at a different level than we're thinking about. They are, yes, even more advanced in their thinking than a plugged-in insider, for example. So all I'm saying here is don't try to figure this stuff out. Don't try to predict what your team might do. Just sit back and enjoy the deadline because I say this every year. Things will happen that will spin your head around. One of those trades, in my view, already has happened the Max Scherzer trade. And I would not be surprised to see another such deal happen again, whether it's Preller, whether it's Jerry DePoto in Seattle, whether it's the Mets, whether it's the Dodgers, or the White Sox. I don't know. I guess that's the theme of what I'm saying. I don't know. Time now for the dude and dork of the week. The dude of the week actually was overlooked for an amazing accomplishment on Sunday. And the reason he was overlooked is because he's the subject of intense trade speculation right now. I'm talking about Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander on Sunday won his 250th Major League game. He's the active leader, and by quite a bit, Zach Greinke is next at 224. 250 wins in this day and age, when starters are used much differently than they were in the past, pulled much earlier... Guys don't generally pitch deep into games. It's a great accomplishment. Verlander's career began at a point when starting pitchers did pitch deep into games. And he accomplished a lot of what he did earlier in his career under the old way of thinking. But he has continued at an extremely high level, even as he is advanced in his career. He is now 40 years old. Will he get to 300? I would tend to doubt it. But you know what? He's talked about pitching into his 40s. He's obviously going to do that. He's signed for next year and has a conditional player option for the year after. I don't put anything past Justin Verlander. And really the durability he has shown and the excellence he has shown consistently year after year. Had some injuries in there, of course, the Tommy John most recently. But this year, after a sluggish start and an injury to start his season, he is again one of the best pitchers in baseball. Justin Verlander, 250 wins. Congratulations. Due to the week. Dork of the week. This one is kind of fun. Now, I ordinarily love celebrations. I'm not one of these guys screaming from the clouds, get off my lawn, do all this, let's go back to the 1950s. Players should just be respectful and go around the bases quietly and not flip bats. I like bat flips. I like guys celebrating. I like all of that. But Sunday, Josh Palacios of the Pirates, his home run trot, in my estimation, was over the line. Now, it was his birthday. Happy birthday, Josh. It was a huge win for the Pirates. Kind of a crazy game with the Phillies. Walk-off homer. Listen, all of that is reason to celebrate. But Josh, he's kind of started dancing before he got to third base. Wasn't the Tatis stutter step. This was a whole orchestrated thing. He got going. And then barely down the third baseline when he started going again. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, Carlos Santana, before he got traded to the Brewers, he had a really cool walk-off thing, too, where right before home plate, he started dancing and showing off his moves. That one I liked. I thought it was appropriate. This one, I thought was just out of control. Now, fans will say, some will, oh, come on, man, let the kids play. Let them be fun. Let them have fun. All the fun in the world. I am all for that. The game has been too stale, too stodgy for too long. But there is a line? I thought Josh Palacios crossed that line. Dude, you didn't hit the home run to win the World Series. You hit a home run to beat the Phillies in July for a team that is out of contention. Congratulations to you. Great homer. Great walk-off. But Josh, too much, man. You're Dork of the Week. Hey, it's been hot and sunny everywhere lately, so protecting your eyes is really important, which is why I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Shady Rays. They are an independent sunglasses company that has a world-class product that is just as good as the expensive sunglasses that are out there. They have durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. What really separates them though is the best protection plan in the industry. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they will send you a brand new pair with no questions asked. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, you can exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. So you can buy and wear your Shady Rays with confidence that they have your back. From building playsets for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with MS, the outdoor adventure of a lifetime, Shady Rays is helping communities all over the place. That's why I love these guys. Shady Rays are giving out, as well, their best deal of the season, right now. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for 50% off two-plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Time now for Grilling Ken. Let's get right to the questions. Let's start today and see what we have here. I believe this one, oh yes, it's about the cubbies. Does the Cubs' winning streak suddenly turn them into buyers? The answer to that question is yes, but I would say they are soft buyers. They're not going to go crazy. The good news is they're not trading Cody Bellinger or Marcus Stroman. But when you compare them to where the Padres are, their playoff odds, I'll show you why they're not going to be all-in type buyers. Look at these right now. The Cubs are at 26.9%. The Padres at almost 40%. So the Cubs have essentially one in four chance. So they'd like to add a left-handed reliever, maybe another bat, but I just don't expect them to do anything major. They would be probably being short-sighted if they kind of went all in when they're still trying to build their organization. And yes, at the same time, trying to win. Good to see that they're not selling though. Hello, they should be buying and at least competing at the very least this season. Next question. Oh, here's a good one. and I know a lot of people in Baltimore are asking this one. When will the Orioles jump into the fray? Well, they already have made one move. Let's be fair about this. They acquired a reliever, Shintaro Fujinami, from the Oakland A's. They believe he's going to thicken their bullpen in front of the two all-stars, Cano and Bautista. We know what they need, a starting pitcher. And the demotion of Tyler Wells after his start against the Yankees Saturday raised the alarms that much higher, or that much louder. They are a team that is in a rare place right now. Best record in the American League. They are... Ahead of schedule, yes, but they've got a rare opportunity. The Yankees and Red Sox are relatively down. And when you have this kind of chance, you have to seize it. They know that. Now, they're not going to go crazy and trade a number of their best prospects for a rental. I don't expect that. But they have so many prospects. I've talked about this a lot. They can do practically anything they want and still be okay. So if the deadline passes tomorrow without the Orioles getting a starting pitcher, I would expect their fans to be rightly disappointed, but I still believe they are going to get a starter. It might not be Dylan Cease. It might not be anybody of that caliber, but they need someone, maybe multiple someones, simply to help them get through the season. Finally, oh, here's a good one too. What is the Red Sox path? This is a question, obviously, all Red Sox fans are asking, and it's really interesting. The Red Sox, well, they can't sell, for one thing, outright. They can do some things, though. They can trade James Paxton and perhaps take advantage of the market for starting pitching because rentals are commanding a high price. We saw that with Lucas Giolito. Maybe the Red Sox want to do that. If they do that, they've got to backfill with another starter, find one somewhere else, either in that deal or in some other deal. They're going to buy, too. And they can make one other sell move as well, and that's trading Adam Duval to clear a spot for Jaron Duran, maybe even trade Alex Verdugo. If they choose to do that and go to that path to, again, create playing time for Durant. But clearly, even though they have a number of players coming back, Chris Sale, Trevor Story, Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Houck, they need starting pitching. We know that. And you can't count on the three starting pitchers that I just named being all healthy at the same time and contributing. One or two of them might be in the bullpen. So... I would expect them to look for pitching depth, all kinds of pitching depth, preferably in their eyes, controllable pitching. I don't know exactly what Heim Bloom's going to do. I'm not even sure Heim Bloom knows what he's going to do exactly. But they're not going to make the same mistake they made last year. When they sort of went halfway and really should have gotten under the luxury tax as a seller rather than do what they did, which was kind of mix and match. They may do some of the same types of moves, but I expect them to be more definitive. If you trade Paxton, fine. Go get another starter. If you trade Duval or Verdugo, fine. You've got outfield help, but you need more pitching. Bloom knows that. He has to know that. The Red Sox are ahead of where we thought they would be. They've got a really good offense. They've got a pitch. Looking ahead, we're going to do it a little bit differently. For this particular show, trade deadline is Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. We're going to give you the top five players still available, at least in my estimation. And honestly, we don't know if some of these guys are actually available or will be traded. But here, in my view, are the five biggest names. Number five, Teoscar Hernandez of the Mariners. I expect the Mariners to be buyers and sellers. Hernandez is a guy who is a potential free agent. Obviously, the Mariners need offense. It would be kind of dicey if they traded him while they're still competing. They'd have to replace him in some fashion with some offense in some other deal. Number four, and this is a name we've talked about a lot, Eduardo Rodriguez. Yes, he has the opt-out at the end of the year. That's going to give some suitors pause. He's got an injury history as well. But he is, outside of Blake Snell, perhaps the best starting pitcher available. And Snell isn't available. So Eduardo Rodriguez is someone who I expect will move and will help his next team for sure. Number three, Heimer Candelario. Now, this is a guy getting a lot of attention. He's the third baseman for the Nationals. Is he a great game-changing player? No, he's not. But there are a number of teams on him. I don't know if the number is eight, like Nationals GM Mike Rizzo said on the radio the other day. But there are at least three or four, or four, from what I'm hearing. He's a guy that is almost certain to go. Lane Thomas will not. Number two, I wrote about him today. How available he is, I don't really know. The White Sox are listening on Dylan Cease. They're listening on all of their players. Now This is what teams do. It's due diligence. It's gauging the market. It's being responsible, making sure there is not a deal out there that might blow you away that you don't want to run away from. But will Cease actually be traded? I tend to doubt that. The White Sox, understandably, are going to set an extremely high price. That's that. Number one, we talked about him at the top of the show, Justin Verlander. Will he move? I don't know. Full no-trade clause, a lot of money remaining. It's the Scherzer scenario pretty much all over again. He's different than Scherzer. Players are not all the same. They don't have the same goals, same family considerations, same personalities. So you can't say for sure what is going to happen here, but that's the name we'll all be watching most closely in the days ahead. Okay, this week, special edition of Fair Territory coming up on Wednesday after the deadline. We're going to recap everything, go through the whole... Kabosh of moves and non-moves and give pretty much an instant analysis at that time. Hey, you know what to do. Follow and subscribe to both Fair Territory and Foul Territory wherever you get your podcasts and videos, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, the whole works. social media, you know where to find us. We're going to be here and up until the trade deadline and beyond at Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, Keep it locked in on fair territory, on foul territory. Wherever you find us, stay with us. Hey, FT Live fam! If you're new to the party on the BetMGM Sports app, enter the promo code Foul. F-O-U-L, for up to $1,000 back if your first bet loses. It's simple. Ready? Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gotta use the bonus code FOWL.